0: Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the Word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. As I was getting ready this week, I just kind of was over overwhelmed by the scripture that I was reading and um, the, the passage that we're going to be in tonight in The book of Ruth, but I really want us as a body of believers in a church to turn our attention, as we turn our attention forward to uh, this year and the the rest of um, what the year is going to hold, I want to encourage us with something that that can seem a little bit heavy. the, we need to be a people, the, the body of Christ in general, but I'm going to speak specifically to the people who call Roots Community Church their home or our extended family who are not here in Phoenix, but um, connect with us in other states um, repeatedly and routinely over the weekend. I really feel that we need to um, take take some, uh, some focused effort and time to talk about and prioritize the... Um, the, the two subjects of character and integrity. I'm not talking about us being a flawless people. I'm not talking about us not having any mistakes or never having a slip up or messing up here or there or, or anything like that. I'm not talking about any of that. What I'm talking about is when we are by ourselves, away from everybody else, away from you know, whatever would be considered public or out of the view of everyone else, there is, um, there, there is a need for us to ensure that what goes on in our private life is um, our actions that would please Christ. You know, over the last year, and probably towards the end of last year, I ran across several instances and stories of of ministers and people who preach the gospel and people who are involved in different areas of ministry, They, they began to fall morally. And they, um, they all, almost every single time, when someone falls morally, you know, from a ministry position, they they step out and say something like, you know, my soul was empty, it was bankrupt. I didn't take care of my private time with the Lord. I didn't take care of the time with my spouse, my husband or my wife. I didn't take the time to to care for the things that really mattered, I just kept giving and, and presenting something out here publicly that wasn't going on privately in my own life. <clears throat> I listened even to a young man this morning who's a believer in Christ and who started a ministry. He, he sat and, and, and very repentantly and sorrowfully um, kind of admitted to everyone out there who would listen to him that he had been, um, even though that guy was using them in these great ways and pulled him out of this crazy lifestyle, that he admitted that over the last several months he had fallen into uh, a time and, a, and, a, and a, uh, a season of where he was looking at things. And uh, when no one was around, just in private, he was looking at things that he didn't need to be looking at. And he came forward to confess his sin and ask everyone to give him grace and to find repentance first from God and then from the body of Christ and the people who who follow him. Um, The reason this is so important is because what happens in private eventually impacts what is seen outwardly. What happens when no one else is looking, eventually, in some way, shape, or form, rears its ugly head in public. Many times in Scripture, the Lord shows us the principles behind doing things in private. And if you're taking, if you're taking notes, that's a first line there on your notes. Many times in Scripture, the Lord shows us this principle of the importance of doing things correctly in private. And, as I was reading through the story um, again this week of Ruth, it kind of brought me to um, a couple of things that I want to um, go through her story very quickly it 's the Old Testament book of ruth it 's really short if you haven 't read it or haven't read it in a long time. I would encourage you this week to go back in and, and read it there's just such i mean the Word of God just in general has so much good um, uh, just so goodness and richness for us to follow but specifically this story just kind of grabbed me this week and i think it'll do the same thing for you if you haven't um, read it in a while but i want to um talk a little bit about the story of ruth and look at a couple of things about her character and integrity that we can draw from and see as exampled in her story so and uh, if you've heard a, a message before on Ruth, or on the subject of Ruth, or based out of the book of Ruth, we typically focus on um, the, the really big part of the story, which is her being redeemed to her husband, and you know the, um, even though she lost one husband, she got another one, and it's this great story of redemption, and that is very true, but I want to focus on just the front part of her story really quickly during our time that we have here today. If you were to go back and read the, the the beginning of the book of Ruth, you would find that Ruth actually doesn't start with Ruth. It starts with another woman named Naomi and her husband. Her name, his name was Elimelech. And I don't know if you've ever heard that song, "The Lion Sleeps Tonight," but it start it starts like that. A wee moap, a we moap, a we It sounds like his name, Elimelech, Elimelech, Elimelech. And if you're not laughing, don't worry. It's the, the jokes are bad, but the message will be good, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But um, um, Jill and Juliana like it. Thank you, girls. Um, but Elimelech, I thought I remember his name, and Naomi, they're both Israelites. They get married and they live in the city of Jerusalem hundreds of years before Christ is born. So they're living in Jerusalem, but in Jerusalem during this time period, they, um, uh, there's a great famine. And they don't have any way to, um, to kind of build their family. They don't have any way to, to grow crops or to raise their livestock. It was a very agricultural time uh, during this time period. It was, the culture was very agriculture-based. And so they decided to move away from Bethlehem and go to a city of Moab. Now, coincidentally, that happens to be one of my goals for 2021 is to get Moabs. So if you're not laughing at that one, don't worry. They wouldn't laugh if they were here any either. So that'll be my last one, I promise. But they go to the city called Moab and they develop their life there and they, um, they build their family. And not too long after they get there, they have two children, two sons to be exact, and they raise their family there outside the city of Moab. Sometime after the boys are are grown and start or are, are born and start to grow up a tragic thing happens to Naomi her husband Elimelech passes away the bible doesn't tell us why he passed away we just know that he dies and Naomi is left by raising these two young boys these two young men by herself she navigates that through the years and, and time period of them coming to the age of becoming men and finding wives. And both of her sons wind up getting married to women who live in this town of Moab. The first, hus- the, the, the first boy married someone named Orpah, O-R-P-A-H. It's the next line there in your notes. And the other, the other son married, um, his wife's name was Ruth. Now, for about 10 years, Scripture tells us that the the families were, they were, they were married and they were living, you know, kind of together looking out for each other and looking out for Naomi and for their mom and for each other. But a second tragedy hits this family ten years after the boys are married. Both of Naomi's sons, who are unnamed in Scripture, but both of her sons pass away. Again, we don't know why they died. We don't know if there was an accident. We don't know if there was some type of sickness or disease in the area. We don't know if there was, um, if it was a genetic thing. We don't know what happened. We just know that Naomi suffers two massive blows in her family. The death of her husband and then the death of both of her children. She is obviously torn apart and beside herself, Orpah and Ruth are obviously devastated at their, at their loss. And at that time in this culture, what would happen is if, one, if there was two, two sons and one of them passed away, his wife and his children, his belongings would actually be passed to his brother, the other son in the family, so that everybody stayed in the family. There's no way they can do this because both of Naomi's sons are gone and they don't know what to do. And so Naomi makes a decision. She pulls Ruth and Orpah together and says, you know what? This is terrible. We don't have anywhere to go from here. Our lives are in shambles. I've lost my husband. I have lost my boys. You both have lost your husband. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to wipe the slate clean. I know you guys are trying to be loyal to me and take care of me, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your home city of Moab. I want both of you, Orpah and Ruth, go back to your home city. Go start your life over. Marry someone. Start start your family and, and just go on with life because she had decided, Naomi had decided, she's going to go back to her hometown of Bethlehem after some some back and forth and some very emotional conversations, Orpah, one of her daughter-in-laws, decides, you know what? I'll take you up on that offer. And Orpah stays in Moab. But Ruth does something different. She decides to stay with Naomi. See, when she married her husband, that was his mother. And Even though that the person that she loved and her husband had passed away, she is honoring the commitment that she made to her husband by staying and and caring for and following along Naomi, even though she's going back to her hometown. In Ruth chapter 1, we hear um, uh, Ruth's heart to Naomi, and when she's telling her, I'm not going to leave you. So, Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Ruth replied, She's talking to Naomi, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined, To go with her, she said nothing more. So, first and foremost, Ruth has an out. She has a way to just call all of this a loss, wipe the slate clean, forget any responsibility that she may feel or any loyalty that she may have to Naomi. She has a chance to go back to her hometown of Moab and push the reset button and start over. But Ruth's character, Ruth's integrity, her love and her loyalty for her family is not going to be compromised. And she stays with Naomi and follows her back to her hometown of Bethlehem. Remarkably, when Naomi shows up back in Bethlehem, there are some extended family members and friends that recognize her and celebrate her coming back and welcome her back. And after some discussion of what happened and to Elimelech and to the boys and everything, that her children, they get settled, her and Ruth get settled into a place to live and now they've gone through the, the big exciting move, they've gone through the decision of staying together, that all these big events are done, and now it comes to just living life. What are they going to do? They're, they're sitting in a place together, they, they, they have somewhere to stay, but now they need something to eat, and so Ruth hears about um, a way to get some food. See, in the, uh, in the Jewish culture, in the, in the nation, nation of Israel, if you had a crop, there were two rules, two, uh, two laws, and two cultural expectations for you. Number one, you weren't allowed to harvest the entire land. You, you could do most of it, but you had to take the corners of your land, the corners of your crop, and leave them unharvested. And then when you were done um, harvesting the crops in that particular field, the poor and the needy and the hungry that were in the area the people that had no food were allowed to come in and harvest those corners of your crop the the second rule that they had was when when people were working in the field they were pulling the crops let's let's just say you use a a kind of a wheat field for example they would pull a stalk of wheat and if, when they pulled it, if it dropped on the ground, they weren't allowed to bend over and pick it up because that, that what was left on the ground was, for, it was the remnant for the people who were hungry and who were poor and needed food to come through after and pick up off the ground. It didn't matter if it was one stalk, two stalks, or an entire, an entire bunch of wheat. If it fell to the ground, you were required to leave it there because people would come back and they would pick up after you. And that is the way they cared for and provided for the poor and the hungry in their culture. <clears throat> Ruth hears that this is how this works. And so she says, you know what? Naomi is far too old to do this. They talk about her age and how she can't have any more children and they're not going to wait for her kids to grow up and marry them again. So, you know, so they realize that Naomi's too old to go do this. And then Ruth makes... A decision. That is the way I can get some food for myself and for my mother-in-law, for our immediate family. So I am going to stop whatever it was I was doing before and I am going to go and work in the field. I'm going to go and stand there with all of these people that, um, that, that are hungry and that need food and that are perceived as potentially as poor or their crops didn't come in and they, they need some help, she's going to go stand there in this mass of people that she doesn't know, in a country that she doesn't know, in a, in a, in a culture that she's not familiar with, and she's going to go and jump right in and start to do the work, the manual work of harvesting the fields for the remnant. <coughs> Ruth In chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, she has a conversation with Naomi telling her that she wants to do this, and here's what it says. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields and pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who was kind enough to let me do it she's telling her i am willing to put to action everything that we just talked about it i'm not just giving lip service to my commitment i'm not just saying that i have commitment i am going all the way and now i'm going to go work in the fields i want you to give me your blessing before i go verse three naomi replies all right my daughter go ahead so ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. No pomp, no circumstance, no big celebration for her doing the, the, the courageous, the high character, the integrous move. There's no one there to stand and applaud her. While she goes and does the thing that is required of her, she is going to go put her money where her mouth is, so to speak, and she's going to go work in the fields to feed her and her mother-in-law. When she gets there, she asks permission of the foreman who's at the field She asks his permission, can I please follow along with the rest of these people and pick up some things for, for me and my family to eat? And the foreman allows her to do that. He gives her the approval. Eventually, the owner of the field, Boaz, comes through and he's checking on how the things are going with harvesting this particular crop field and them pulling things and making sure that they're doing it correctly. He's coming to check on his land and the workers for his land. And he's really familiar with all of the people that are out there who are poor and needy and come behind the, 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 the workers and pick up what is dropped on the ground. He's very familiar with who they are, except for one. He sees off in the distance a girl that he hasn't seen there before. And in verse 7, he turns and asks a question to one of his workers. And here's what it says Ruth chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, She's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. What this verse tells me is that. It's really hot that Ruth is not just out there, you know, doing it to go through the motions. No, she's working. She is on her hands and knees. She's finding these remnants of things that have been left uh, left on the ground and dropped on the ground. She's harvesting these corners of these fields. She is sweating. She is dirty. She is in the thick of it because she is acting on the element of her character. Boaz eventually tells her, do not go to any other field. I want you to come back to my fields every day. He actually instructs his foreman, his workers, hey, when she's there, look out for her, take care of her, do her right. And then he also says, I have a well of clean water, and we draw that water so that we can work and, have, and be refreshed throughout the day. That water is accessible for you as well. And he provides something for this woman that she can't do for herself. And because of her integrity and character, she garners favor with someone who can help her. <clears throat> the title of this message tonight is "What Happens in Private." And I was, I, as I was reading this the story this week, I was just, just uh, overwhelmed and um, challenged by what I saw in Ruth. What I saw in her character and integrity, and the love that she had for Naomi—the first thing I that I saw and that I thought about about what happens in private is that um, is number one on your notes. What happens in private is we have real conversations. We have real conversations. I don't know if you or any parents out there, or you've maybe seen somebody do this. I'm sure, but if you've had a young child, like a toddler, maybe two, three, four years old, in that in that um, in that age range, and you take them to the store, and they get out in public, and they don't get what they want, they don't get the piece of candy or the toy or whatever, and then. Every once in a while, you might see that child start to act up and start throwing a tantrum and yelling and screaming and hollering. And at that moment, everyone kind of starts to glare over and look at like what's going on. But the parent does something. 95% of the parents don't pull their belt off right there and start going to town, whipping that poor child's behind right there in front of, in front of everybody. What do they do? They typically take that child by the arm and pull them close and say, cut it out. And then they say a famous phrase that all of you are probably familiar with. Just wait until we get home. When I heard that statement as a young child, you just wait until we get home. I knew that what was going to happen in private could not be seen in public. Because I was going to be in some major, major trouble. Why does that happen? Because... The actions that, are, that happen in public are not necessarily the, appro- the actions that happen in private are not necessarily appropriate for public, especially when there's correction involved. And when I look at the life of Ruth and her story with Naomi, when I'm looking at what she does, she goes to her in private and says, let me stay with you, let me work, I'm going to go out into the field, I'm going to bring us food. She does it in a way that doesn't bring attention or shame to Naomi. She doesn't wait until all of her family and friends are at a, at a dinner or, you know, they're, they're at some gathering and say, oh, um, Naomi, would you like me to go out into the fields and work? And put Naomi in, in this crazy position to have to answer like, No, we don't want you to do that. So that she could manipulate the answer that she wanted because if she didn't want to go to the fields, no, that's not how Ruth operated. She went and had real conversations. The most honest conversations we can have happen in private. Jesus uh, tells us as his followers, and I believe it's in the book of Matthew, he says, Um, When you pray, don't stand out on the street corner and make some big production of it. Go away into a closet and close the door. And your Father who sees what you have done in private will reward you openly. Why Does Jesus beckon us? Does He command us? Does He encourage us to go away to a private place with Him? Because those real, honest conversations happen in private. If you're someone who has walked with the Lord for maybe just a little while or for a long period of time, and you haven't yet found a place that you can go by yourself and be with the Lord... Or you haven't done that in a long time where it's just you and Him in a private place. I want to encourage you to do that immediately. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Start tonight. Start tomorrow morning the quickest that you can. Go be alone with the Lord. I don't know about you, but people who pray openly... Like in a group, if we're if just imagine if we're all sitting somewhere and there's a group of us, you know, five or ten of us in a group, and we're in a circle and we're gonna pray. And I, I don't know many people that say uh, they don't they don't get dishonest. Lord, man, woo, I got hammered last night. Can you help me with that? Forgive me for what I did. Forgive me for the stuff I said. Forgive me for how rude I was to that person. Oh man, I think I puked on somebody's floor. And this morning I have had nine aspirins to uh, get over this hangover. God, forgive me. Help me. Jesus, please help me. Most people don't say that. When they're out in public, what do they say? god please help all of us for our shortcomings even if they were recent and forgive us so that we can move forward and take away the the ramifications of our disobedience see the difference that one prayer that is so detailed that is so raw that is so um, uh, um, uh, intimate happens in private if you're someone who only prays or reads your Bible on one side of the room while the kids are playing on a Xbox or PlayStation or something, I want to encourage you to find a spot alone. If you just open your Bible and maybe listen to a worship song at one end of the table while someone else is cooking in the kitchen or eating at the other end of the table, I want to encourage you not, not to stop that, but to take a focused time in private with the Lord, because when you sneak away with Him, the real conversation can begin. There's no one around to listen to what you're saying. If you cry, you cry. If you laugh, you laugh with Him. If you, if you shout, you shout with Him. But it is just you and Him, and that level of intimacy, that is what needs to happen in private and my friends if you will take that time and prioritize that type of private moment relationship with the lord consistently throughout your life then my guess is it's going to translate out into success when there are temptations in private time and you will be known as a person of character and integrity <clears throat> the second thing that I, I saw from this story of Ruth this week was, you know, what happens in private is we're not trying to impress anyone. It's number two there on your notes. We're not trying to impress anyone. <clears throat> I know a lot of people now are working at home, and and my my day job in corporate America during the week is a. Uh, has been at home for almost a year and we've been working on laptops and things like that and um, just because of the pandemic and not wanting to get people together in offices and eventually we start to joke and you start to hear people come back and say things like I haven't changed out of my pajamas in three days and you kind of chuckle but you under you know you're like oh gross I mean did you at least shower (laughs) you know I mean I hope that happened but you know, you kind of understand why, why would you get up and get all dressed up and, 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 and fix yourself as if you're going somewhere when there's nowhere to go. Why? Because there's no one to impress. I don't have to dress a certain way or look a certain way or act a certain way or talk a certain way to impress my boss or my coworkers or my friends or the people that are at my job or at my office. I don't see anyone because when the camera is off, when we're in private, There's no one left to impress. Ruth uh, exemplifies this uh, tremendously because Ruth, was next line you'll notice, she was doing manual labor in the field. No one is paying attention to her. She didn't walk out of her house and gather all the neighbors together and say, people of Jerusalem, let me tell you what I'm about to do today. I'm going to embark on a mission that I have, not, I have not, I've never before embarked on and I am going to work by the sweat of my brow because I have no husband and because my mother-in-law has no husband and because it's just us, I am going to show you my commitment to her by going out into the fields and doing manual labor. As I walk by, I would appreciate applause and a pat on the back and shouting words of encouragement to me as I go forth and accomplish this noble deed. She doesn't stand out and do any of that. She quietly decides that the right thing to do, the integrous thing to do, the action of high character is just to go. See, her intent was not to go public and be seen. Her intent was not to go out and try to find a man to take care of her and her family. Her intent was to stay true to her commitment with her mother-in-law, work hard serving her, and bringing home food that day. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. Um, He gives us a warning about doing the right thing out in public. Let me read you his words. He's talking to his followers. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1-4. through 4. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly so you can be admired by others for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. But when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they'll ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your Father who sees everything will reward you. We live in a culture that is um, uh, obsessed with going public with every single thing that we do. Um, People take pictures of their food of every course of a meal this is my dessert this is my my food this is my drink this is my plate this is my empty plate. like they take pictures of all this stuff and throw it out especially on social media to go look what I'm doing look hey I have a presence here I want people to see what I'm doing and they go public with so much There's people who are tempted to do good deeds. And I've not seen this exact scenario, but something similar where people have kind of tried to indirectly make someone think in public that they were doing well, but on the other end, receive praise. And here's what I mean. You know, I'll see a post or something on social media where people will say, you know, I'm so grateful that the Lord has blessed me to the point that I could feed 25 homeless people here on Halloween. I just went and I bought all this food and I'm in such a great position. I've had such a great year. The Lord's blessed me so much. I just want to give to all these people and there's pictures of the food that they give and the people that they're giving to and these homeless people standing in the distance and hashtag blessed. Hashtag love your neighbor. And, there, and that is a perfect example of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6. Don't go and do something like that is considered a good deed so that you can announce it to everyone. No one is doing this, right? No one's blowing trumpets and in synagogues in the streets to call attention that are acts of charity, but we will Instagram live it so that we can get more likes and people can think what a good person that is. we had a team member here at rcc who was asked by someone who had seen some of our services online they said you know hey I've, I've watched some of your services i really enjoy them what do you guys do like for outreach and to help the the community and so this person began to tell them some of the things that we've done you know two and a half months and you know into being in church we we, we fed a um, uh, this, this large group of young people who were for thanksgiving who needed some help and you know some of the other things that we had done and after they had explained to this person what they had done the person just looked them dead in the face and said I don't believe any of that I don't believe you've done any of it and the team member that was here kind of took a step back and said what do you mean you don't believe any of it it's like well I've been to your Facebook page and I don't see pictures or announcements that you have done any of that I don't believe it because I don't see it there." we have become obsessed with announcing to the world, look how good I am, look at all the stuff I'm trying to impress someone tremendously, but privately, the life has fallen apart privately. What we're desperately looking for is not to be good and not to love our neighbor and not to provide for someone who's homeless. What we're looking for is praise. Next line of your notes, when we announce our good deeds in public, it reveals the desire of our heart is actually to receive praise for ourselves. This is one of the reasons that Jesus is telling his followers, hey, don't go announce it don't go do all of that just do it in private why because those who do it in private and don't announce it to the world they have a higher degree of integrity in character and we know their heart is in the right place because they're not going to impress anyone they're not going out there so it can be their good deed can be seen they're just going because they love god they love people and they want to follow his leading this kind of um hit a little bit close to home for me this week as well it's ephesians chapter six verses six through eight and it's basically um a scripture that points to employees and employers and how a person works for their boss the the terminology used in the scripture is slaves and masters but don't look at that word slave and master through our you know 2021 western culture american lens and our definition of slaves and masters but in this time the the slave and master analogy was more akin to an employee-employer, an employee and a boss relationship. So understand that as we read this, um, this next scripture, Ephesians six six through eight, slaves or workers obey your earthly masters or your employers with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ try to please them all the time not just when they are watching you as slaves of christ do the will of god with all your heart work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the lord rather than for people remember that the lord will reward each one of us for the good we do whether we are slaves or free you're gonna have moments if you're If you don't own your own business or whatever, if you are an employee somewhere, you have a job where you have a manager or a boss over you, you're gonna have an opportunity to kind of cut back, cut some corners, skirt around a little bit when they're not watching. And what Paul is telling us in Ephesians is don't do that. Stay focused. Do your best even when they're not watching watching you because why? Because what happens in private eventually becomes public. The last thing, um, number three, is that uh, what's done in private, um, number three, our true character is revealed. What happens in private, our true character is revealed. James 4 Verse 15 is very short, sweet, blunt, and to the point. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. This is especially applicable for times where we are alone, by ourselves, and in private. If we know the right thing to do is to turn off what I'm watching because it's glorifying something or presenting something to me to see that I know is opposite of what the Lord would have me watch, what He would have me think about, we have the opportunity at that moment to decide. Am I going to do what I know is right or am I going to continue on the path and give in to what is wrong? If we know what is right to do, and we don't do it, it is a sin before God. Next line of your notes, the quality of our character is proven when we do what is right, when no one is looking. <clears throat> and the next line, what a person does in private comes out in public. There might be a few of you who say, well, Matt, this is kind of like that whole statement, of like if, there, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, did it really make a sound? If I do all these good deeds and no one knows it except the person that I gave it to or like the homeless guy I gave it to or helped this person along the way and they don't ever say anything, you know, how in the world am I ever going to, you know, how's that ever going to come out in public? I mean, how, how am I ever going to get a reward? God's talking about this reward, you know, that we get. Um, how am I going to get that reward? Well, first and foremost, we don't love others. We don't love God. We don't serve Him or serve others to get anything. If we give for the purpose of trying to get, we have completely undermined everything that, we, that we're attempting to do. Because what that shows is our heart is really wanting something for me i'll give to you as long as i get something back my friends if we're going to give in private eventually what happens behind those closed doors will come out this works both ways if we are presenting ourselves with this this um, this kind of fake mask and presenting ourselves in public as if we are really truly following the Lord, but in private we are eaten up with sin and hatred and frustration and jealousy and envy, and we seethe and we plot ways to take people down, and we and we just get angry all the time. And behind we behind the scenes, we're not spending time with the Lord. We're not in His Word. We're not doing any of that. But we're presenting this nice little This this little public face, eventually the public face is going to fall. And what's been really going on in private is going to be seen. But there's another side to that coin. We see it in Ruth. Ruth didn't announce what she was doing. She didn't announce that she was going out into the fields to work. She didn't announce what she had done with Naomi. No, she just did what she knew in her heart was right to do. And she didn't have to say it. Other people began to notice. She didn't know she was being seen at the level um, uh, that she was being seen at, but other people began to notice. Let's read Ruth chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. This is Ruth responding to Boaz after he says, Don't go to any other fields, come here and we'll treat you well. Here's what she says, verse 10. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. See, the other side of that coin is there's a little bit of a negative contents to think, oh man, if I'm doing something terrible in private, it's going to come out in public and I'm going to be embarrassed. But the other side of that coin is if I am being faithful in private, if I am doing what I'm supposed to do, if I have high integrity and high character, if I'm following the Lord's commands, even though no one can see me, even though no one knows what I'm doing, eventually someone's going to notice from a distance that you can't see. It's out of your sight line, they're going to see it and they're going to be the ones to start saying, man, that person's that that person is showing a lot of integrity. There there there's something about them. They they work a little bit different. There's a security. There's an honesty. There is a, a a trustworthiness, a faithfulness about them. And eventually, what's going to happen is the Lord will use that, or whatever other means that he, that He chooses, to find a way to bless you in return. It may not be money. You may not win the lottery. You're probably not going to win the lottery. But you it may not be something like. like financial or something along those lines it could be relational equity it could be a a door open for a job that you've been looking for whatever it is the lord can use what is done in private for your blessing in public so what was ruth's reward she didn't know there was a reward she just acted it as a high character integrous person what was her reward <clears throat> eventually, Ruth married Boaz. He had to go through a, a process and jump through some hoops, but he eventually married her, and they had a son together. And their son, the last name, or the last on your notes, their son was named Obed. O B E D. If you're not familiar with Obed, Let me tell you who he is right now. He is the grandfather of the greatest king in Israel's history, David. She became part of the lineage of David. Oh, and guess who else came from the lineage of David? Jesus. Do you think that she had any idea that that is how God would reward her when she was just doing what she knew was right. She was operating in character and in faithfulness and integrity. She had no clue that was how it was going to end. But God rewarded her in a way where she became a part of the actual physical lineage of Christ. That is a reward greater than anything else. So today, I do want to give us a warning. If we're doing things that are inappropriate in private, they will be exposed. But I also want to give us an encouragement that if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you are remaining faithful, and you are acting in integrity and with high character in private, that will be seen and re- eventually, and God will reward it. What is the common denominator here? What happens in private? We are implored by the Scriptures that we just read and by the example of Ruth, to be those people of character and integrity. If we profess ourselves outwardly to be Christians, but when in our private life it is all messed up and all of our sin comes to the surface, people who are not saved, they're going to point fingers at that and go, <laughs> they don't even believe what they've been telling me but if we act in character integrity faithfulness commitment long suffering if we become reliable if we become those people when it comes out people are going to look at us and it is going to be a great reflection of the gospel and it's going to give us an opportunity to point them back to jesus